Well, on Wednesday nights, we are doing something we're calling Believe. And um, we're laying some foundation right now uh, because what we believe, where, where does what we believe come from? The Wikipedia, exactly. No. <laughs> from God through his word. So God reveals himself. God is a God who does not hide. He is a God who wants, if you look at his whole mission of what he wanted to do and, and his covenants and how he used Israel just as kind of a shop window of what he really wanted for, for to bless all nations, all people. We've seen that God is wanting to reveal himself to us. And the, the main way that God would reveal himself is through his word, through his word. And there's some things that we need to get real settled on concerning God's word uh, so that that kind of fortifies. We've got a good foundation to stand on for all that we believe. Now, we call ourselves not just Christians. We call ourselves believers. And I, I think there is a difference. I think there's a lot of, quote, technical Christians and I find there's a greater joy and a greater level of victory in the life of people who actually, you know what, I'm a believer. And not just by saying, well, I'm a believer, but by, you know, believing. And when you believe, you have to know what you believe. And if you really believe it, you act on it. And so application is the proof of learning. So we learn something, we believe it, and then we apply it to our life. And that's, that's what causes blessing. That's what causes a divine order to, to be in our life. As believers, it's important that we know what we believe. And that we don't just say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I go to church. You'd better know what you believe, why you believe it. Can you, can you explain what you believe? Can you articulate what you believe? Uh, as things come up, do you know where we stand on that? And not just we as a, a little pocket group of people. Uh, it's the largest single entity of, of, of people in the world are Christians. All different flavors, I'll give you that. But, um, you know, we would believe that. And what we have to come back to is some kind of standard and some kind of authority. And for that, we go to God's Word. So we want to continue to establish some authority of God's Word tonight. Um, how many of you believe in miracles? Amen. Okay. Normally, I guess on a Wednesday night, I would have maybe a page and a third, page and a half of notes. I got three full pages tonight, okay? Oh. But I'm going to I'm going to read uh, a number a, a bit of it is is information that I'm just going to read to you that will fortify some things. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Let's look in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen. It says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, child of God." may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants you to do something too. Hate to bring that up after a long day at work, but God wants you to do something too. Um, I don't know who's on scripture. Terry, probably in the back. Can you go ahead and jump to my last scripture? It's the same passage in the New Living, communicating with the back there. Here we go. Good deal. It says all scripture. This is the same passage in the New Living Translation. All scripture is inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So the word of God has an incredible value in our life. Now, let me just review real quick. We believe that the, that the Bible is God's word. Amen. 
If we believe it's God's word, then we believe it is God speaking to us. If it is God speaking to us, then it is inspired. And we just read this in this passage. It's inspired. It's not just a dictation. It's not just a compilation. It is inspired. It's the inspired word of God. With it being inspired, was it inspired or is it still inspired? It's still inspired. It's a living book. This is not just, yeah, I read that one. You know, this is one that you continue to feed on. This is daily bread. It's living. It's powerful. It's active. Uh, the book of Hebrews in the, in the Greek language says that it is active and powerful and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. You've you got to get into the word. And David said, I love it. And I pray that that would be your testimony. You may be able to say, oh, how I love your word, love your law. And, and when you really start to handle the word of God, believe the word of God, understand it more and more and apply it to your life, you're just going to love God's word and you've got to have it. How many of you have certain food things you just love? See, I watched you light up over that. And I say, I love the word. And you're like, yeah, amen. You know, it's like, now I mentioned food and then I watched, watch what happens to you people. So I guess I kind of set that example sometimes. We believe the Bible to be inspired. We believe it is inerrant. And we looked at this last week in detail that it is without error. It's without error. It is also infallible. Infallible. We'll look at that in just a moment. And we also believe that it is authoritative. And we also believe that it is sufficient. And we're not going to look at all of that tonight. But let's look. uh, We believe that it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, in two different ways, okay? And, and remember, we're looking at theology. We're looking at doctrine. So sometimes we're going to bring in some terms, but they'll help us. They'll help us. So we believe that in verbal, verbal inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, verbal, which, which means this, every word. Everybody say every word. So we believe concerning the Bible that every word is inspired, every word is inerrant, every word is infallible. We also believe in what is called plenary. So that means the entire thing. We mean every word and the whole thing is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Let's look a little bit at what infallible means for us. We could go real deep on this. We're not going to tonight. It means that it's useful. It's reliable. It's true. It won't lead us astray. It won't lead us astray. Uh, How many of you have ever gotten bad advice before? Okay, this will never be bad advice. If you will do what the Bible says to do, you're not going to end up with some kind of weird result. You're not going to end up painted in some corner somewhere or it's like, oh, wow, I've known people through the years. Somebody gave them some bad investment advice or told them the wrong barber to go to or, you know, I mean, whatever it would be. And they end up regretting the advice that they got. And you need to know that this is reliable. It's a sure word. It is impossible that this would lead you astray. And so, again, we've got to come to a good understanding of that because then if you don't rightly divide this, that could lead you astray. Because then you would take something out of context. And when it's out of context, then that can set you up for error. That'd be like somebody taking something you said out of context. Well, mom said we could. And so you go ahead and do it. But the full story was mom said you could if you got straight A's. You know, and you're still nine weeks away from that. 
You know, so you can end up in error and trouble because you take something out of context. And so that's another thing that we're trying to constantly do is, is to break that down. So it's infallible with any statement of fact. So if the Bible's telling you a, a story, it will tell you it's a story. If it's telling you an account of history, it will tell you that. And it's inerrant and it's infallible concerning statements of fact. Also regarding moral commands, anything that would tell you how to live. And then also one of my favorite parts of the Bible, the divine promises of God. How many of you know for every problem there is a, there is a promise? And God does not make empty promises. And so, but if we don't believe that the Bible is inerrant and inspired and infallible, then how can I believe the promises? How can I trust then that it won't lead me astray? How can I trust that it's actually inspired and alive if I don't believe that? And so it's one thing to believe it. It's another reason to have a reasoned, a, a reason to believe. And so we're going to try to back up a few things throughout this series to help you to know why, why we would believe some, some certain things. Let me move on and tell you something that we must believe And that is the authority of Scripture. Everybody say authority. Um, If we believe this is God speaking, just think this out for me, uh, with me. If we believe that the Bible is God's word, do you all believe that? And I could give you countless verses. Thus says the Lord, you know, just throughout, it is referred to as the word of God. So if this is the Bible, if... If this is God's word, then this is God speaking. Okay? So if it's God speaking, who is above God? All right, let's close in prayer. You got it. So if God said that and God is true, is God true? If God said it and God is true, can God lie? It's one of the things he can't do. It's about the only thing he can't do. Is lie. And so God, who's above him again? I I missed that one. No one. So if God, who's above everybody, says something, then what he says trumps what anybody else says. Be it tradition, be it government, be it uh, culture, be it whatever it would be, reason, logic, whatever it would be, God gets the final word. And that's the basis of the authority of God's word. It's the highest authority. So if I disobey, if I disobey God's word, who am I disobeying? If I disobey, or excuse me, if I disbelieve God's word, who am I disbelieving? God. So if you got to make that connection, God and his word, this is also from his word, God and his word are one. Now, if you have integrity in your life, you and your word are one. Do you hear that? If you don't have integrity in your life, then you may present yourself one way and do something else or think this way, but talk this way, you know, and it gets, it's all misconstrued, but God and his word are one. God has integrity, perfect integrity. And because there's nobody above him, then what he would say would be the highest authority. Can I get an amen on that tonight? Now, some religions, some branches, even of, of Part of what we believe, um, and I don't speak disparagingly or or judging anybody. We just have to we have to draw some lines for ourselves. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, or a number of other would be sister branches of that. 
would believe that Scripture has authority, but it's not the final authority. They would say it's part of the pool of revelation, of how God reveals himself in his truth. And we, we don't go that way. Um, they would add in councils. They would add in other writings. They would add in, you know, some other, some other things that, that um, and again, I'm not speaking disparagingly of them, but we've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And so I don't believe it's just part of a pool of, of how God reveals his truth in himself. Part of the, well, the main reason for the Protestant Reformation, if you'll go back, Martin Luther and so forth, was to get back to the scripture being the authority. Not a person, not a council, not other writings or groups, but that uh, they coined this phrase, sola scriptura, prima scriptura, which means to come back scripture only, scripture highest or first. And so that's what that was all about. And so that's where part of the separation a little bit of, of Catholic and Protestant kind of happened was to bring back to, uh, and, and we have a large, forgive the pun, mass of people that are part of, part of Meadowbrook that have roots in Catholicism. And one of the great things that you bring from that is a high degree of reverence for the things of God. And I applaud that. I love that. And I wish that would be contagious, you know, for other people to have such reverence for God and things of God. But when it comes down to us, where we stand, we need to understand this. We believe that the word of God, the Bible, and the Bible alone holds the highest authority in our life. It's not part of a pool. It's not part of a library. It's not part of anything else. This is it. This is the highest and final authority in our lives. Can I get an amen on that, on that tonight? Now, uh, nothing judges scripture. Scripture judges everything else. Now, I want to say something, and I've got to say this so delicate. You Follow me on the analogy, okay? If you have something, a tradition, a thought, something grandma taught you, uh, culture is teaching, a secular idea... And it comes in conflict with God's word. Then what do I do? Which one do I go with? I've got to go with God's word. So even if it's family tradition or culture of my religious background or it's a strong secular idea or whatever. And then we've got God's word. This is where authority comes in. Then, then I've got, okay, who gets the call? So God does. God's word does. You know, if you're watching a basketball game. Uh, or football game, and there's a call made, and the call is, you know, somebody protests the call or wants it reviewed, uh, they're, they're going to go to video, and then they're going to have the highest ref or umpire make that decision. And so, with the decisions of life, you know, I, I heard on the, on the TV, they said this, but God said this. I'm so torn. (laughs) You shouldn't be. Now, this is where I've got to be delicate. In the Old Testament, Egypt, Egypt is a type of the world. And we were children of Israel, which is a type for us. They were given an exodus out of that. You following? And so children of Israel actually represents kingdom of God, community of God. 
And, and so just think Old Testament there. And Egypt, and I'm not talking about the people, okay? Modern day people, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about Egypt as a kingdom and Israel as a kingdom. Not current day. I'm talking about Old Testament model here. Then when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they came out of the secular world, so to speak. So you, you follow that? So when we have a secular idea and a kingdom idea from the word... And we've got to decide they're in conflict. Now, this is where I've got to be really, really careful. You've got to do like Moses did. Moses came up and he saw an Egyptian beating a, an Israelite and he killed the Egyptian. Now, I am not saying, look at me, look at me. <laughs> I did not say kill an Egyptian, okay? I did not say it. Did you get my analogy there? Okay. Later, Moses, do like Moses did. Later, there were two Israelites arguing, fighting. So if I find two things in scripture that seem to be in conflict, got to do like Moses did. I got to do the work to try to reconcile. Okay. So the highest authority, and this is the thing, the highest authority, the final authority would be God's word. Amen. Now let's, uh, and now I'm going to start reading. Some would say that the Bible is a human infallible book. First of all, it's not human. And secondly, it's not fallible. You say, well, humans were involved in it, therefore it has to be fallible. Not true. Humans are fallible. But how many of you know that you can do something without mistake? I'm having to write papers for school. They're expected to be without mistake. And, you know, you can look through... And you can spell check it and get an editor and pour over it. And it is possible to get it without mistake. Ladies, y'all got an awesome recipe. You ever ruined it before? You ever got it perfect? Come on, I hear it. I hear I heard some, oh, yes. You know, it is possible for us to do something. And I think especially and beyond that, though, that this would be a divine thing. It's not really human. It is divine, and God used some people. We'll look at that as we go here. The Bible doesn't need me or anybody else to defend it, actually. Charles Spurgeon said this, Scripture is like a lion. Who ever heard of defending a lion? Just turn it loose. It will defend itself. The Bible is unlike any other book ever. And I want to give you some statistics here. Over 7 billion, everybody say billion with a B, billion. Over 7 billion copies sold. Second place would be Mousy Tongue's Little Red Book. 900 million. 7 billion, 900 million. Number one, 7 billion. Number two, 900 million. Which is more. Plus the thing about... Uh, Mao's little red book, it was required by law that, that all Chinese had one. Required. Then the Koran comes at 800 million. 7 billion? <laughs> pirate. <laughs> I love it. 7 billion, 800 million. Harry Potter, 400 million. Webster's Dictionary, 100 million. Seven billion. Plus every year, incredible numbers of books are written about the Bible. 
lexicons, commentaries, Bible studies, etc. Around the globe, people are risking and giving their lives just to study the Bible. And I'm going to make more awareness of this over the next few months even. We need to know that we have brothers and sisters on this planet. They're being martyred for their faith. It doesn't hit the news, regular news, because they got more important things to talk about. Excuse me, I just felt a wave of nausea, um, but I'm back. Um, but we have brothers and sisters that are being persecuted for their faith. We have such religious, and I hear people all the time griping, getting, we're just losing our religious liberties. You have more religious liberties than you can imagine. And the body of Christ should just speak up and pray. Did you hear that second part? And pray and live and walk this out. But we still have tremendous religious liberties. Did anybody hassle you tonight about coming? I mean, maybe some of you lived with did, but you came freely, did you not? And uh, I could go on and on about that. But, but all over the world, think about this. People are risking and giving their lives just to study the Bible. It's been translated into virtually every language on the planet, almost 2,300 languages. Even secular scholars study the language, beauty, simplicity, and continuity of the Bible. Think about this. How did the Bible make it this far? There's never been a book more continuously under attack than the Bible, and still it makes it. Still it makes it. Think about this. How can we know that it hasn't been altered through the centuries? How can we know? This is a big argument sometimes. How do we know this didn't get altered through the centuries? Let's look at this real quick. First of all, the vast collection of manuscripts. Secondly, the age of those manuscripts. Thirdly, the accuracy of those manuscripts. There are more than 24,000. Everybody say 24,000. More than 24,000 early, whole, or partial manuscripts that exist today. That's almost 100 times more ancient manuscripts than the next most commonly copied and accepted ancient written work. So what we have historically in manuscripts, and there are other ancient works that have been accepted, we have over 100 times more partial and whole ancient manuscripts. Question. What if the scribes didn't copy it accurately? Scholars report that if any differences are remark, any differences there are remarkably, remarkably infinitesimal. They typically are punctuation, inversion of letters, or one-word differences. There are no discrepancies regarding any doctrine of faith. Not one truth is called into question. God has preserved His word with amazing accuracy. In 1948, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Now watch this. A complete copy among the Dead Sea Scrolls, a complete copy of the book of Isaiah was discovered. It was 1,000 years older than the previous oldest manuscript. Okay, so they, we had manuscripts. And when Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they found a complete book of Isaiah that was 1,000 years older than the oldest ones that we had. In over a thousand years of copying and recopying, only one word from Isaiah 53 was questioned. And it made no difference in the meaning. Now let me, let me read to you Isaiah 53, 
where this, right in the middle of this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what we're saying is, think about this. I hope I'm getting this across right. We had manuscripts that were already trusted. And then they're considered to be accurate. And then you discover one that is a thousand years older, earlier. And within a letter or two, it's the same as these. There are no other things that have been copied and recopied like that with that kind of accuracy. God has preserved his word in incredible ways. And Christians did not go back and add Christ to the Old Testament. He was there the whole time. Let's look at archaeological proofs. What are you doing, Pastor? I'm trying to give you some basis for the integrity of God's word. Archaeological proofs are galore. Actual places, real people. Archaeologists discovered King Solomon's seal, King David's name in stone, a bull the Canaanites worshipped, on and on and on and on. There are biblical archaeological journals that are constantly bringing out uh, new archaeological finds. William Albright, a a foremost archaeologist, said, the excessive, listen carefully to this, a little wordy, but listen to it. The excessive skepticism shown toward the Bible by influential historical schools of the 18th and 19th century have been progressively discredited. Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought increased recognition to the Bible as a valuable source of history. Israel is a very small country and only about 1% of the available landmass has actually been studied archaeologically and yet almost every historical figure in the Bible has already been confirmed by observable empirical data right there. Archaeologists are only mounting up their efforts and focus on archaeology in the Middle East. The Bible is not, get this, the Bible is not, cannot be just a human book. There's been a divine hand to get this to us and, and to prove to us that we can go back and more and more. And that's, that's being discovered. People say, now this, this will bring it right down on your street here. People say, well, the Bible is full of contradictions. Can I tell you how I, how I respond to that when people say that to me anymore? Name one. Because people will say, well, it's just full of contradictions. And I'll go, all right, name one. And typically, they're just parroting somebody else they've heard who also has not read the Bible and has not done the work. From cover to cover, incredible consistency. You can even challenge people, not in an ugly way. Remember, we're to do this respectfully, intelligently. You can challenge anyone who brings up a question of contradictions that with study and context, you can find an explanation for anything Every time, every time, often what would be considered a a contradiction is either a completion or it's an update. Let me give you just one example. In the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye. This is a common one that's used. Well, the Old Testament said an eye for an eye. And then the New Testament, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. See, that's a contradiction. Actually, in that whole passage, Matthew 5, Jesus said, 
You have heard it said, but I say to you. So he said, I know that civil law and order says that you can do this. But in the kingdom and what we're trying to work with interpersonal relationship, don't poke their eye out. Turn, turn the other cheek. What is it? It's an update. It's an update of what was accepted in law. Jesus is saying, we're taking this to a whole nother level here. It's hardly a contradiction. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Contradictions, if somebody brings one up, and you do not have to be equipped to do this because I don't want you to be nervous. Oh, no, i got to know the answer to all these things. You don't. You don't. You have to be convinced of the authority of God's word. We have something today called technology. And you can do this. I've played around doing this before. Uh, And you need to get, don't be afraid of technology. Well, it might be the Antichrist. It is not. (laughs) I just got a word. Jesus would have a smartphone. (laughs) I'm teasing. I didn't get that in a holy way. Listen, if somebody says, but what about, but what about, do you know what you can do? You can Google, you can Bing, you can Yahoo. And I'm serious. Within seconds, you'll have about 15 sites or answers. And you sort through them just a little bit with a little study, a little putting in context. You can have a good, solid biblical answer. There's some people that have done some incredible scholarly work that is out there. You can get a good biblical answer and you don't have to. Matter of fact, I I prefer you don't. It's best that you don't act like you know it all. Well, I just can't tell you now because you can't contain it. I'll meet you here tomorrow. Yay at half past noon. No, don't get weird on people, okay? Just go, you know what? I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I believe the Bible is solid. I believe the Bible is true. It's God's word. And I don't have the answer for that right now, but I'm going to find it. And you can find it with some study. And technology will help you to do that. And it's an incredible tool. Thank God for it. The Bible is a supernatural book. It invites examination. It will stand up to examination and it dares you to trust it. And to believe the Bible, follow me on this, to believe the Bible, you don't have to check your brain at the door. You don't have to. But I, and and we want to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and might and mind. Comment on something just just briefly here. Uh, This past weekend, uh, a pastor, I don't know where it was, Kentucky, Kentucky, the handle snakes. I, I've had a couple of people ask me, when are we doing that? We don't. <laughs> you out of your mind? Okay, here's what happened. They took one verse. Look at me. How many? One. One verse. And I'm not, I'm not calling people this, but out of ignorance. Build everything around one verse, you go into an extreme, and extremes lead to error. And then you're, you're tempting Christ. It, 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 you don't do that. 
And to build a whole thing off of one verse. Listen, the word will confirm the word. In the Old Testament and New work together. This is a unity. This is not a disjointed thing. What God had in mind at the end, there are five themes in the last two chapters of Revelation that you can find in the garden in Genesis. And it goes all the way through. All the way through. New creation. New covenant. New Israel. New everything is found. It's all the way through. And Jesus is central in this. And you've got to rightly, you've got to rightly divide the word. You can't pick and choose. You can't carry uh, cherry pick. You can't say, well, that sounds really good. Well, you better find out, find out how that fits, how that works. And that's why we're going to dig in. And that's why you're not called just to come to church. You better get to church. Well, we're to read the Bible and we're to study the Bible. And there's so many tools and we've done whole series and made resources available to you so that you can do that. And part of my job is to teach you the word of God. So get in church, take advantage of of this. And and we're going to continue to grow and learn in this. My goal for the first part of this whole believe series is to get a good foundation of the word so that you understand this is God's holy inspired inerrant, without error, infallible. It will not lead me astray. It is the highest and final authority in my life. And you get that and you you can stand on that. You can stand on that. Let me wrap this up. 40 different authors written over 2000 years, including farmers, kings, shepherds, wise men, fishermen. And they all agree. God was guiding their hands. Many writers, but one mind and one author behind it all. Don't just read it. It's alive. Let it speak to you. Let it speak to you. That's why you can't do this running through, grab your makeup and a Pop-Tart and and, and just a verse and and then think you're going to get life right. Slow down with this. Respect it. And let it speak to you. And it will be to you bread and meat and milk, and life, and light, a sword, a hammer. It's God's word. It's God speaking to you. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. It's the main way that God wants to reveal himself to you. And I'll just close with this. And the devil, the enemy of your soul, desperately wants you to avoid it. That cranks me up. Well, then get out of my way. Because I know who's giving life, and I know who's taking life. And he's the life giver and this is a life giving, life changing book. Let me, let me just finish with this. The Bible is God's word. It is God almighty who still lives speaking to us. There's no one higher than God. So what he says goes, that's the highest authority. It's in the errant. It's without error. It's infallible. It won't lead you astray. It's inspired and it's our final authority. So whatever, whatever in life you're trying to make a decision, find out what God said. Find out what God said. Well, how can I count on that? Because it's infallible. It won't lead you astray. Well, if it's not true, it's totally true. And not just because we have nice hearts toward God. But I'm telling you on all levels of reason, archaeology and so forth, history, it bears out. You can fully Walk out and stand on God's word. And it will hold you up now and hold you up forever. Amen. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this tonight?